Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Yeah, you know. Yo, yo, what's good, everyone? And welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherman the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, October 20th, 2021, and this is episode 182-182. And my, oh my, do we have a massive interview for you today. Episode 182 features the one, the only, Tyler Morris, a.k.a. West End. I caught up with his tech house stallion last week while he was at home in NYC and had so much fun getting his full story. In episode 182, we got it all in. We started by talking about his early inspirations and influences. West End was born and raised in New York City and grew up surrounded by tons of different music and cultures. In high school, he was exposed to DJing and electronic music that eventually inspired him to start creating music on his own. He found a groove balancing real life with music until he knew it was time to turn his passion into a career. He hasn't looked back since. Now of course, we talked about the West End discography. Personally, I'm a massive West End fan. It was truly amazing running through his catalog of bangers from 2016 all the way through today. We got the full story on how some of his most profound productions came together, like Detonate with John Summit via Dirty Bird, the Pay Attention EP via Solotoko, Get This Party Started via Glasgow Underground, and Jumpin' with Sid via Repopulate Mars. We also unlocked some old memories from West End's humble beginnings. Love this portion of the interview. I also got the full scoop on his Discord called Kick and Bass. During lockdown, West End started doing one-on-one sessions with producers and helped them learn the ins and outs of house music production. It gained so much traction that he eventually started a Discord called Kick and Bass that now has over 200 members. I personally know 10 producers that have worked with West End through this program, and it's truly incredible what he's building. Mad respect, my man. I am now an even bigger West End fan than before because he is such a genuine guy who loves making music and sharing it with the world. He has worked so hard for years and is now touring worldwide playing original tracks for fans new and old. Incredibly inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my man, and I can't wait to meet you in person someday soon. Now let's get into it right now so you can hear his story for yourselves. This is episode 182 with West End. Ladies and gentlemen, hello, hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Sherman the Booth. I'm here with Tyler Morris, a.k.a. West End. We're having some beers. Yes, I'm sir. In. What are you drinking today? Um, so normally I've been on this sour beer craze. I just got a wheat beer, the Ho Garden. Uh, not sponsored by them, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think someone left them in my crib and I just have a couple and I'm just trying to get rid of them because I like sour stuff way more. But yeah, this is what's uh, going down my throat right now. That's what happened to me with some Stella Artois recently. I don't, don't normally drink, it, but I was like, you know what? It's a classic, like I'm going to pick up a case of beer and bring it over to the homies for a pregame or something. It works. Stella's like also like the classic nightclub beer for me it's like if i don't if if i'm playing the show and they're like what kind of beers do you want it's like stella's like that's the easiest to drink like it everyone is. likes stella's that's yeah. true i'm a corona man myself but stella they're are good 
they're they're one and the same honestly yeah yeah yeah. we could probably do a podcast just about beer but we're here to talk about you today maybe and yeah maybe in like a year or so I, i'm still i feel like a noob to the beer game i'm like very new to it but really uh, I'm, get, I'm getting into it more and more so yeah that's maybe why I'm so into the IPAs because I started with some of the sour ones that you say you like and it just it tastes good but you then you start want to drink like a little more full of a beer I think yeah. this is like this is like seven or eight percent one of these and I'm good to go the, the beers I drink honestly don't even taste like beer some of them some of them taste <laughs> like alcoholic fruit smoothies some of them taste like cereal <laughs> milk like they're crazy flavors very sweet very sugary what did so, you say yeah. cereal and milk Oh, the, dude, there's like guys that they'll brew, they'll put like Lucky Charms in the in the beer and it comes out tasting like cereal milk. Like they, some of the flavor combinations are just, they try to push it to the limit. So, and I like that. I'm like, that's cool. Like I, I want to taste all these weird, you know, themed beers and stuff. Wow. We're living so, in the future, aren't we? Yep. 2021. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Well, like I said, before we got on air, uh, personally, a huge fan of you. have been following you for years. And it's an honor to have you on. Congratulations you. on all your success. We're going to get into your story, get into your music, but I like to start these interviews off with a question. And mm-hmm. uh, I've noticed you're a pretty big fisherman. You like to fish. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, uh, that is uh, my identity. I'm a big fisherman. <laughs> Fisherman's less tech house DJ producer. That's a good brand. I think that's like my TikTok bio. I think it's literally the, those exact worlds. It's like, it's like TikTok, tech house producer slash fisherman or something like that. Hey man, content's content and I enjoy the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> what is the best catch you've ever had? Um, okay. Well, like biggest is not always best. You know what I mean? That's so true. um I've caught like really big sharks, but they're like probably like 200 pounds, like seven feet long, like big sharks. But uh, those aren't like particularly rare. There's a there's a species of fish in the northeast called a fluke. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much also known as like a flounder. So it's like your classic brown flounder, like flatfish. Right. Um, and if you can catch one that's over 10 pounds, it's like a double digit fluke. And that's kind of like you get into like the 10 pound plus club. Most people, they could fish their whole lives. They'll never get one over 10 pounds. It's pretty rare. So wow. I did get one that was like 11.7 pounds or 11 pounds, 12 ounces, 11 ounces or something. Um, close to 12 pounds last year. If you go on my Instagram and you scroll down, you'll find it. It's like I'm holding this big brown fluke. Um, that's probably the best catch I've ever had. I've definitely had bigger fish, but that was the one I was like, oh, shit, this is dope. Well, I wanted to test <laughs> your passion for fishing because when we start talking about oh, your music yeah. and your productions, we'll find out which one you maybe love it, more. <laughs> yeah, like I could talk about like when I meet someone and they are also the fishing, like I could talk with them about fishing no matter where, who they are, where they are in the world, it's like, you know, the DJ dubs D V B D. Yeah, of course. He hit me up on Instagram and he's like a big fisherman in like um, <laughs> LA. And we were literally like, I never talked to the guy ever. We were just DMing each other for like 30 minutes, just sending each other like fishing photos and talking about. Random. Oh my God. I'm a, I'm a big fisherman myself. I'm in Chicago, so I don't get to fish as much, but I have a lot of family in the, the Carolinas and I love intercoastal fishing. You can just, yeah. you can catch like 10 in a day. I'll send you a picture of my, ba- my favorite. I, I went to college in North Carolina, so I know. I'm oh, really? Fish. Yeah, I went to Duke um, in Durham, and we would go to the shore for beach week. And so I didn't, no. I don't think I fished there, but I know all about Carolina. Yeah, Wilmington, great fishing, man. Spotted red tail, redfish, it's like yeah, yeah. so much fun there. Speckled trout, they got everything. 
There you go. Okay. I, I know everything, bro. I you you definitely got me beat, man. But that's awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah, bro. Fishing talk. Yeah, I know. We could talk beer and fish. Well, hey, maybe we'll start a new podcast on our own. No one's going to watch this episode. It's just going to be fucking <laughs> like, beer dude. and fish. They'll be like, I thought I wanted to hear about music and tech house. <laughs> this is what we really talk about backstage, people. It has nothing to do with tracks or production. It's fishing yeah. and beer. And what yeah. do you like to do on the weekends outside of music? Pretty much. <laughs> so you're in New York right now, man. Obviously, your name is West End a, a mm-hmm. core identity of yourself along with fishing let's start in the beginning man where were you born and raised and, and when did electronic music come into your life so i was born and raised in new york uh, new york city so i grew up in manhattan on the upper west side of manhattan so kind of if you look at central park down the middle you have the west side and the east side so upper west side um yeah i grew up there uh went to like new york city public schools like my whole life um, went to this high school called Bronx Science, which is like a pretty big high school in New York. It's probably like the second or third biggest public high school. And like a lot of like big alumni went there. It's just like a old kind of famous school. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson went there. Yeah. Um, Robert like, Moog, right? Yeah. The guy who made the Moog synthesizer went there. Like uh, I went to middle school with Timothy Chalamet. You know, you know him? <laughs> are you shitting me dude i know him like yeah i know him like he was a year <laughs> younger than me like we went to middle school and elementary school together wow um, that's awesome yeah so basically yeah grew up in new york city i still live here now and uh electronic music got into my life in high school probably around like sophomore or junior year um i think i listened my friend ellington he was listening to this band called justice uh which is you know a classic electronic music duo and um i remember i think i like torrented or i was on youtube it was either like i downloaded or i was just listening on youtube to their album cross and i was like wow this is crazy like this is super cool because when i was a kid i always liked like rock and roll and like hip-hop like Mm -hmm. i remember my first album was like eminem what's it called um uh what's on the red cover i'm totally blanking the Eminem show, right? I think that's yeah, yeah. Called. Oh, with the curtain? No, there's the one with like a blue cover with the curtain. But I think he has, I don't know, I think he has a couple ones with the curtain. But whatever. <laughs> I, I listen to a lot of like rock and like hip hop, a little more like aggressive music and like pop music. But I remember I heard Justice's Cross, and I was like, this is sick. Um, and it just had this like epicness to it. It had this like nostalgic feeling, and like you know, I loved how it wasn't very um, first chorus like the songs it was more of just these kind of electronic music where it's more of like a build-up drop and you know samples of lyrics as opposed to full verses and chorus I was like this is really awesome right and then I also had a friend at the time who um was getting into DJing and getting into electronic music so there was a couple like friends that were just like really getting into it and I kind of just got sucked in at the time. And it was mostly through like YouTube kind of polls because yeah. at the like SoundCloud wasn't really big in like 2011. Like it was, but not really for like electronic music. Like it wasn't like the boom that oh, 2014 rap. came. Right. Yeah, it's still like rap and like, it just wasn't as big as a platform. So like YouTube was really big. Um, and that's where, you know, I listened to guys. I got really into like progressive house, really into electro house, blog house, whatever you call it. Yeah. So like some of my, some of my like early influences um, and like, I guess you call it EDM, but this is before like EDM was like 
call it EDM. It was still like progressive house. So yeah, people like Avicii, Afrojack, Rehab, Auto Erotic, Bloody Beatroots. I was a huge Bloody Beatroots fan. Wow, Auto Erotic and Bloody Beatroots. That's a throwback right there. Warp 1.9 yeah. with Steve Aoki. That was the first yeah. like real hard electronic music song I heard. And I was like, fuck, dude, this shit, yeah. you can feel it. Yeah, I, I really like like that kind of stuff. Crookers, um, yeah. Jack Beats. Um, there's this guy named DJ Blend that like the Dutch house and he wore this like mask, like this yes. Chucky mask. I forgot. Um, yeah, we, I would listen to his mixes. So like, like th- these were the kind of guys that I was like into. Um, and yeah, I just like, I just became like obsessed with it. I was like, like most people with electronic music, it's very like, it's all or nothing kind of thing. It's like, once you discover it, it's like, it kind of takes over your life a little bit. Nice. And so that's, that's kind of how I got into it. It does take over your life. That, that's so true, man. Like it just becomes a part of you and then you go searching for it. You start, I mean, I feel like that's how it started for me too. start at the top, the popular stuff, and then realize there's so many layers and so much history behind yeah. all the different genres. And it's exciting when you first discover it. Yeah. And there's like, you know, that's the cool thing. It's like, I mean, I'm sure other genres like this, I'm just not as educated, but you know, it really feels like there's a little bit for everyone in electronic music and there's there's so many every producer has their own sound like you don't really get that with like hip i don't know i may get like shunned for saying this but like it feels like you don't really get that as much with like hip-hop or like rock it's like you know they're all using the same instruments it's the same type of like flow it's like electronic music you have this thing called the synthesizer so you really can get like all these crazy sounds and arrangements and all this stuff and i it just I see why people get addicted to it. Mm. And that's why you have people go to festivals and it's like, that's like part of like their identity. You know, it's like they go to festivals and listen to electronic music, even if they're not in the industry or whatever. Yeah. You know, like no one, like people maybe like, like love like one artist, like they love Billie Eilish or they love this, or, but like, no one's like, I don't really care about the artist so much. I just like to go to electronic music festivals because I love electronic music. That's like, so true. And there's so many know. artists that can be discovered, man. I, I, we're going to get into it, but like you're about to play in, in at EDC Vegas, which is notorious for the variety of music and, and the opportunity and like, you know, the art cars that go around. Like I saw that the in rotation stage with like somebody like Clover. Uh, so they, they just announced that today, right? Sick, bro. I know you've done a lot with yeah, Enro. Like I've interviewed a lot of people who have released on Enro and it's like obvious that they don't really care who you are, the size of, you know, your brand or your following. If you're making unique music and it's good, they want to give you a chance. And that's why people yeah. go to festivals because, they have a chance to discover new artists. I was actually talking with my uh, management team about this at EDC, but like, that's a good thing that people do at EDC is like, they yeah. kind of just like wander around because there's like, you have these eight different stages. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I expect most of the people on my set, you know, there, there will be people that know me and there are fans, but a lot of them will just be people that, you know, they're at EDC yeah. and, you know, maybe if they're just walking by and they stop in. And I think to me, that's really cool. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you get to play in front of people that maybe aren't your fans yet, but if you do a really fucking sick job, you can convert them. And like that to me, that's like motivating. I'm like, fuck yeah. Absolutely. You get to be you too. You don't have to feel like you really need to cater to any sort of specific audience. You're not opening for anyone. Like this is your state. Of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? Yeah, for sure, man. Amazing. So you ended you ended up at North Carolina, like you said, or Duke. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. And yeah. Did you continue like pursuing music then, or were you kind of having a fun time in college? Like, what was it like for you then? Yeah. So basically, I'll give you the, the short story. So yeah. Um, 
in high school, yeah, got into electronic music. I was like, this is sick. Had a friend that was into DJing. Yeah. Um, and in like New York, it's kind of hard to, it's, I don't know. I grew up in like the city, like every, all my friends lived in like apartment buildings. Like I'd never been to like a house before. So like, you know, when we were going <laughs> to parties for like our high school, like the parties are either in someone's apartment, which is like usually ends up very poorly with like the police coming <laughs> or like everything getting wrecked. But basically what these, um, some of my friends would do is like, they would rent out different venues around New York, like little like spaces, like we rented like a synagogue and then like a community center. And we're like, we would like, I don't know if you go on my Instagram, um, I have a really good friend named Kyle, his Instagram handle is NYC foodie 420, but I go fishing with Kyle and he's kind of like my tour manager a little bit now, but he was the one that we would, he got a fake ID and he had a fake name and he would rent out these venues. So we basically we would pretend like we were like 21 year old college kids. Yeah. And we'd throw these like little ragers in these basement, like 150 people, 200 people, make some jungle juice, like charge people entry and stuff like that. And that was like my first intro into like DJ was like playing like just like progressive house and like Dutch house, like bangers to all of my classmates at the time in high school so I was like this is sick and I was like all right, I really like being a DJ I love performing like this is amazing I love like showing people music they don't know um yeah and a lot of yeah so like that's where that fuel kind of started for me and at the same time there was a class in high school called digital music lab mm-hmm. where basically it was like 30 IMAX with like reason installed which is a of a program you can make music on and like little keyboards and stuff so i took this course it's like half a semester not semester whatever half a year um and i kind of like learned like the basics of music production like mm-hmm. what does a compressor do what does an eq do how does a synth work how do you structure a track kind of it wasn't even electronic music it was just like production like yeah any music production so music that theory. kind of like yeah like music theory like very basic but like like for a high school kid, I was like, this is sick. Like, I, I wish every high school had a class where you could like learn music. I think that's, everyone should have the the, poss- the chance to do that. But um, yeah, so I learned a little bit of production. I learned a little bit of DJing. So like going into college, I was like, I kind of had these hobbies and I was, I think I wrote my college essays about like mashups or something. I was like making these <laughs> mashups, like some really corny shit, like, you know, the college essay. But like, it was like a big part of my identity at the time. It was like, I was like the DJ kid. And so, um, and I wasn't really like making like original music. I, I did try, you know, I, I still have some stuff on like my SoundCloud, like really private back. That's like 11 <laughs> years old. That's like my first song. And maybe I definitely will put it out one day just to show people. Cause I think yeah. it's cool to see like the first terrible track you ever made versus what you can do now. Oh, yeah. But, um, yes, I went to college and like, I kind of had this knack for producing and electronic music. And it's actually funny. Here's a, here's a cool story. So when I got accepted to Duke, um, they would made a, a Facebook group for all the incoming students. So like class of 2016, everyone was on Facebook. Everyone was like, what are your interests? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And I think someone talked about DJing and it's this kid named Spencer Brown. And Spencer's oh. a kid from Texas. And at the time, his DJ name was Spencer, like S-P-E-N-C-A. Yeah. And he made dubstep. He made heavy dubstep. Um, <laughs> and he got support from people like Rusco, people wow. like AFK, I think he made checks with. But we basically connected on Facebook. We're like, oh, we both like to make electronic music. We're both producers and DJs. Um, and so when we get to Duke, he actually lives on the same in the same dorm. Um, building as me 
not the same floor, but the same dorm. And yeah. so like we, and like, we still talk about it, you know, we're still friends, but like, he was kind of like the other producer that went to college with me. Um, and he actually had a really good career while he was in college. He toured with Avicii and all this stuff, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, he, 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 I think he got like signed to like Avicii's management or I, I don't know, something like that. But, um, you know, now he's like kind of in the same circuit, which is just like a small, little that was one of your connection. first releases wasn't it 2016 with him wow how do you remember how do you taking you, my time you did your fucking research bro bro you have no idea i tiptoe the line of stalker and researcher <laughs> uh, i'm scared bro i'm like are you outside my door right now yes but he actually i think messaged me yeah in 2016 because i i actually used to be um before i was west end i was in a duo called cnt and that was my producer friend from i was gonna um, yeah, that was my producer friend from high school. So, yeah, I think when I started West End in 2016, one of my first releases was a remix for Spencer. Um, yes. Yeah, that's crazy. I went all the way back in your SoundCloud, dude. I've, this is episode 182, Tyler. So I, I figured wow. out how to how to get some good information, unlock some old memories. and It's good, though. You know, I'd rather, you know, if, you, if someone's doing their research, that's when, like, the gold comes out the good stories come out so yeah man it's just so much fun for me like to to like go through this journey with especially someone like you like we could probably spend two hours just talking about your music easy easy, bro i mean you've had well over 50 releases probably sick closer to 60 maybe even above that yeah yeah, i I think like i think bport for me is like probably the best because like almost everything I do goes on Bport. So if I needed to like yeah. count something, I would just go to Bport and like count every single track. But yeah, probably close to like 60 or something. It's pretty crazy. impressive, man. I mean, from your first release in 2016 till your most recent one, Life is Sin with Ranger. Absolute banger, dude. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate That's it. That's such a great track. I just interviewed him a few weeks ago and he has the best things to say about you. Another person who speaks very highly of you. And uh, he just- I love like, Ranger. He's a good guy. He's a good guy, and it scares me how talented he is, dude. Him and Moose. Yep, those are both my boys. Um, and, you trained them. Uh, no, I didn't train them. They're uh, I helped guide them a little bit. Not mostly more Moose than Ranger, but uh, that's true. Yeah, Ranger is very very nice guy. I didn't realize how young he was because um, we we met up in LA to do like a little photo shoot for the release and yeah. hung out and like later I think no, he told me at the photo shoot but he's like oh tonight at 12 is my birthday I'm turning like 22 or 23 <laughs> I was like bro I thought you were like my age like I thought you were like 27 like, oh, a little yeah. baby <laughs> yeah I know I mean it's just like I'm I just turned 29 so like I feel you when like you feel like the level of producer they should have be at 27, 28, 29 years old because we went through that journey of getting better. But these guys, yeah. they start producing really young and they commit because when we were in college, right? Like we were in the Avicii boom before yeah, exactly. DJing was like really like a common thing before everybody wanted to be a DJ. So that's why I asked you, like when you went to college, I went to college loving electronic music, but I just wanted to party. I didn't see a future for myself in DJing. By the time I was a senior and I'm like, seeing blau go on worldwide tours from making soundcloud mashups i'm like i think i could do this too right but these younger generation they start producing and they skip that whole for lack of a better term the earning your stripes bullshit of being a dj you know the interesting thing is also that i the reason why i expect most people that are making kind of like house music in 2021 to be closer to my age is like 
there's there is like a general pattern like we kind of come from the, the same um era of electronic music where basically you have these people that in 2012 when electronic music kind of started to take over in yeah. the u.s with people like avici yeah. you had people that at that time were either early in college late in high school mm-hmm. or like very young adults kind of that got into it and so add in the seven years it takes to go from that to whatever genres you liked in between to then kind of like where it is now it's like you end up with somewhere around our age like whatever like 26 yeah. to 32 or wh- right. whatever it is it's not a small thing so when right. there's someone like younger now that's like maybe that's why like to me i was like i don't see any tech house producers that are 18 19 but you do see people making like martin garrix that were making uh Mm-hmm. progressive house at like 16 13 because yeah like they i'm starting to lose my train of thought but they they got into it when they were younger and so when i saw like rangers 22 i was like he must have either been into house music or electronic music like really young or he kind of like went straight into a little bit more of an underground sound which you usually don't see it's like you kind of get converted down you know like Absolutely. you mentioned before you, you kind of said that about how um you start a little bit more popular generic and then you kind of work your way down to a little more underground sound it's true yeah and and honestly you said that perfectly he he was an interesting case too because he went to oregon for a year had always loved producing music went to icon collective where Hmm. he was uh you know really mentored by pd clicks the a and r of night base and just kind of got steered in that direction and and found a lane and i mean he was the first person to tell you there's so much more to learn but how grateful he is to have found the music that he likes producing. Yes, yeah, I think um, finding something where you really feel comfortable in it. And this is something I think people talk about a lot as producers, like, oh, you need to have your own sound. And like, yeah. you know, when a producer starts to change that sound, like think of someone like, who was a getter, who like made really heavy Oh yeah, sound. great and example. He made, he made an album or whatever it was that was like, it was, I don't even, I, I didn't really. Melodic it, like, dubstep of some sort. It, it was wasn't, like melodic. Or, yeah, it wasn't like heavy dubstep. It was like kind of more experimental, right? And then like right. people started booing him at shows and stuff. And, you know, you can't expect like someone to just do the same sound forever. So, you know, I kind of found like a area of music that I like. Like I love house music and I think house music is timeless and classic but it took me a while to get here and yeah um i don't think that the music i'm making today is going to be the exact same music i'm going to be making for the rest of my life like i can tell you i guarantee you it's not going to be because even the stuff that i'm like planning for like the next two years is like starting to like move in a different direction so to yeah. me that's the fun part is like constantly changing and adapting and you know some people are just kind of haters about it but in my eyes it's like sure. you know that's that's the fun part of being an artist yeah, I mean, and you definitely are having fun with it, man. Like I said, I, I went through basically your entire discography from 2016 all the way through now. And it's really, really cool not only to hear how you've elevated your sound, but like improved it as, as a producer. Like if we look at the Taking My Time, Spencer Brown and Walmers was also on there too, if you remember that. I don't know who that was. Uh, I'm but, trying to look it up on Spotify. Well, who is it? Uh, uh, Walmers? Yeah, W-A-L-L-M-E-R-S. Who is that? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know maybe their name got snuck on there but uh, yeah i'm I'm pretty sure that was you i think it was taking my time with spencer brown yeah i got it on spotify to be honest i don't even remember what it sounds like i kind of think if i listened to it i would like remember but (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll definitely put that in uh, the, the post edit so people can hear and you can listen to. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it together. This is West End's first release. Spencer Brown, Taking My Time in the West End Remix. to talk about so in your first two years right like you're obviously getting used to your sound you're trying to put out music you do have a lot of success with labels like box of cats audio and audiophile i just want to mm-hmm. talk about box of cats really quick because i've interviewed so many people that have released on this label they speak very highly of the process the professionalism and really the the range that box of cats gives artists and you released six or seven tracks with them over the years has it been that many i know i've done like two EPs, maybe some, yeah, maybe like I did some remixes and compilations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Box of Cats, I think, I believe Box of Cats started in 2016. And basically the way the label works is it's five producers or six. I think it's, I'm going to forget one of them, but it's Wongo, mm-hmm. Kyle Watson, uh, this dude, Jeff W, Sky, Jack Z, and there's like another guy or so. Um, and they all kind of, the way it works is like, to get a tune signed, they all have to like the track, but that's pretty much like the only qualifier. Like they don't really care about like how many other tracks you've had or how many Instagram followers you have or whatever like that. Right. And so, you know, they, it's all just about the music, which for most record labels, it's not all about that. Um, and so, yeah, they, I think I was like their eighth release maybe. Um, I think I did like a compilation and then an EP. So I was like maybe their eighth and like 14th release. So they started a little bit before me, but like at the time, that's what I was really into. Like the sound that I really liked was like Dirty Bird and um, Kyle Watson, this ain't Bristol. Uh, Like Box of Cats was kind of in that same lane. And there weren't many labels that like were doing that kind of wonky house type sound. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was like a no brainer. And I think I connected with like, wongo just on social media and he's like the nicest dude matt is his real name um you know whenever he comes to new york we hang we get pizza and yeah yeah, he's done a lot for me in my career especially in the start uh you know allowing me to put out my music on the label and just helping me out with advice and stuff like that so yeah um, it's a really great label they they're still doing amazing things um yeah you know it's just uh from the ground up kind of legit label it's legit. I'm a, I'm a see if you remember this one. I'm sure you do, but connected all the way back mm-hmm. in 2016. Like, and the reason I want to bring this up really quick is you were already so talented, man, like from like a, a creative standpoint. And that's why I like wanted to bring up Box of Cats because this is like, this is like very unique house music that you've always been making. And to kind of like run through everything and me start at the beginning and not have heard this track, it's kind of special for me as like a fan and a listener to see you really pull from different elements, whether you know it or not. For my chair, I, I think you are, to even tracks that you've released over the past year. And it's a groovy drop, unique vocals, definitely unique FX, and your breaks are always, you know, you never know what to expect. And I love that track, man. It's cool. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, that was like the first EP that I was like really proud of because like for me at the time, like getting something on the box of cats when like a lot of these like bigger artists that like I was like obsessed with like Kyle Watson. Like I was like, yeah. this dude's like shit is insane. Um, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, it's, you know, looking back at those tracks, like I can listen to it now and I'm like, yeah, like I know the like I like listening to it now because like I know even though it, it is does not sound as clean or as good in my opinion as the stuff right. now it's like it's not supposed to like it's been like five years like of course like you're gonna be way better now than you did then and it's not it's nothing to be you know ashamed about in any way I think um I yeah. think it's awesome to see progression like that but yeah I don't know like I, you know people say that I think it's just that um Put a lot of time into the music and you know i only release something if i'm like very happy with it so you know i i think that contributes to the kind of like uniqueness a little bit of the music and i'm, I'm always like trying to think about how i can do something like a little bit differently um i get very inspired by other artists so like i think at that time i was like really inspired by again kyle watson um billy kenny maximono Walker and Royce, which had a little bit of a different style back then than they do now, but mm -hmm. I kind of would take like a little bit of each of their ideas and uh, throw it all together. And like, that's kind of how I come up with songs. For sure, man. It was, it was definitely like a, a sub genre of the classic house that you were kind of starting to poke your, poke your way into. And I mean, yeah. like 2016, 2017 was obviously like you just said, development years for you, putting out music, mm -hmm. getting feedback. I can tell you, and I'm sure you agree with this producer to producer when you listen to it on your computer and then it's out to the world and you listen to it on Spotify. <laughs> Sometimes it sounds different. And you're like, what the fuck? I listened to this 500 times. Now I'm hearing this completely different, but you learn. Yes. Have you had that experience too? Yes. All the time. And uh, it's, it's also just like a time thing. Like if you wait a while to listen, like if you make a song and then you wait a couple of days and listen to it again, <laughs> um, there's a lot of like psychoacoustic biases that happen when you listen to a song over and over again. And like things you will, kind of your ears will get uh, used to and things they won't get used to. Um, that's why I always recommend to people like, you know, if you're struggling on something, like give it a break for a few days. And like, I'm working on a song right now um, that I was having a lot of troubles with like the mix with, it was like, it's with a vocalist. And so I haven't had that much experience working with um, a vocalist. So I'm like trying to get everything in and like, I keep changing stuff like the next morning. Cause like, it sounds different the next morning. I thought the vocal was perfect right now. And now I listen to the next morning. I'm like, oh, it's way too quiet. I got to put it up. Then I'm like, oh, it's way too loud. I got to bring it down. So um, it can, yeah, perception and music is like really crazy. And it can, you know, you try to get rid of that bias as much as possible. For sure, man. Definitely. And that's something that you only learn over the course of the years. And once we get into 2018 and 2019, like you've got a lot of reputability with label releases. You're playing great shows. Um, do you really remember back in 2018, 2019, like how you were feeling as a producer in the studio creatively? Were you trying to break through boundaries? What were you inspired by or what comes to mind? Yeah. So like 2016, 17, that just to get a little more context, that was yeah. like 2016 was when I kind of split up this duo that I had and I was, I pretty much was like making all the music for it. And, uh, there's some like personal stuff, but sure. whatever I was like, let's, I'm going to do my own project where I'm in complete control. So I started West End then. Um, and I still had like some contacts from kind of CNT and like some, you know, SoundCloud followers and stuff like that. But it was kind of like starting over, like you said. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like 2017 is like, that's like the art department kind of era. So like, I do have some stuff and like the Spencer Brown stuff, but like, yeah. it's kind of hard for me to remember that as well. 
2018 was, it was like, it's always been like a very linear kind of success path for me where yeah. like, it wasn't like I had anything that kind of like took me up a lot. It was very, gradual. Um, yeah, very gradual. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. And so I just kind of like kept releasing on these labels that, and like some more labels, like I'm trying to think. I can pull up like my beat for it because I probably I got don't you, remember. bro. What do you want to know? Club Sweat, uh, Country Club Disco. Uh, all right, there doing, we go. I don't remember. You're doing stuff with codes. Uh, yeah, Space Cadet. remixes for codes. Yeah. Friend Zone, great track of yours, dude. That was 2019, I believe, right? Yeah, that was 2019. Yep, yep. Okay, yeah. So 2017, 2018, it was just, yeah, it's still very gradual. Like I'm trying to kind of release on like more labels um, and just like build a profile, build connections. I'm not really playing shows that much at the time, like mostly like stuff in New York. I'm doing like, um, I had a, these buddies that had a collective called OKNF Collective. It's this guy, Clem Lee, and do you know Griffa? Aren't they still around? Yeah, yeah, they're still around. But yeah. uh, at the time that they were like, you know, I'm still really good homies with them. We all have like a group chat, but like uh, we were throwing like little parties in Brooklyn, but I wasn't really traveling much for shows. Um, and a big part of my career was Audiophile XXL. So that was a label that um, yeah. had put out some of my music. It was a Texas-based label. And uh, I, me and Steve Darko actually ended up being like the a and for that label. So we were, it was more of like a title thing. We didn't really do much, but we just kind of like improved tunes and like got people, you know, um, kind of like a middleman between like the artists and um, the label. So like I did a couple of shows with them, like, yeah. One of my first shows was with Dylan Nathaniel in Detroit. I remember that. It was nice. like my first out-of-state show. And I was like, this is sick. I get to fly and stay in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Now I'm like, uh, now I'm like, this sucks. We have to fly. I have to stay in a hotel. <laughs> stay in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, I hate it. But no, I don't hate it. But um, yeah. And then 2018, I, I, the important thing is I'm still working full time at this time. So I have a job. Oh, New wow. York at a tech company um, where I'm basically just like, a, I'm not a software engineer, but I'm not like a salesman. I'm in this kind of like weird role where uh, I help clients get into the software, blah, blah, blah. Just a lot of like Excel work, pretty boring, but like not too hard. So I had a lot of free time mm -hmm. and I lived at home in New York city. So I didn't have any expenses. I saved all my money. Mm -hmm. And uh, end of 2018 was, I was kind of starting to get sick of my job. And I realized like, Oh, like there's actually like some bookings coming through where I have to take vacation if I want to do these shows. Like it's going to be a Sunday night and like I just won't be able to go to work. And I remember I took a week off to play with this kid, this guy, Corey in Croatia. He threw a festival in Croatia. That's a whole nother story. But um, <laughs> it was called Ship Fam Island. It was basically like 300 holy ship goers went they were all friends with each other, went to this festival in Croatia. Yeah. If you follow Elro, they just did a party in Croatia called Elro Island. Mm -hmm. That was the island that we did the party at originally. And like oh, okay. Claude, Claude Von Stroke was there. Um, Latin was there. Like a lot of oh, American yeah. DJs, Walker and Royce, Vanessa, or, you know, she was, she blew up. Like, you yeah. know, we were all homies, Astronomar, Go Freak, all these guys. We all went there. Wow. Um, and I took like a week off to do that. And I was, and then, so I had some momentum and I was like, okay, like I'm not really making any fucking money doing this, but I am getting some recognition in this like small local space that is like this dirty bird type space. Right. And I think my goal at the time was like dirty bird. Like I was like, that's, 
uh, it, it was kind of fucked up, but I was like making music to be on the label. I was like, I want to have a release on Dirty Bird. You know, what can I do to do this? Like, let me listen to their releases, uh, you know? And I know that the thing with Dirty Bird is that if you try to sound like Dirty Bird, for the most part, you yeah. won't get signed. Yeah. Sometimes I think it happens, but um, you kind of have to do something a little bit different. So yeah, true. So I was like focused on that. And I remember I got the email one morning that was like, congrats, like we would like to sign your song to Dirty Bird, blah, blah, blah. And like, it was like, I was so happy. It was like the craziest feeling. It was like this pure, just like joy. And I was like, yes, I did it. Like <laughs> everything is going to be sorted for the rest of my life. Like, I'm going to be on Dirty Bird. Like yeah. I'm going to be best friends with Claude Monstroke, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that did not happen. Um, but it was a great opener for me because I milked the shit out of it. And I was like, look at me. I got a track on Dirty Bird. And I think it was only for their bird feed release thing, which is kind of like a free download service they have. Is this ambidextrous? Um, no, this was Don't that Stop. Oh, no, yeah. No, this is before that. So this is, yeah. didn't it didn't come out to Spotify until a year later, but this is Don't Stop. And then, um, but that did open the door for me in Dirty Bird. So I was able to uh, send them more demos and that's how I got some of those other songs signed. Right. Um, just kind of like rambling about things that are happening. But another thing that happened for me yeah. that was like big was Justin Martin was playing a lot of my music. Mm-hmm. And I love Justin Martin. I still do love Justin Martin. He's one of my yeah. favorite DJs and producers. He's just an awesome dude. Yeah. And he was like playing one of my old Box of Cats releases which was like the b-side called wiggle party which i think came out in 2017 and i remember he was like he was playing that he was playing like some old remixes that i think during one of his sets he played five of my tracks in one set which is a lot for a producer that's not like your own productions to put in a set yeah five other tracks for sure i was kind of like riding that high and milking that and you know it was great so i ended up quitting my job at the end of the year um so i think 2018 like september october i quit my job and i was like i'm gonna try music production like full time i'm gonna live at home in new york i'm gonna just you know spend my time more on marketing and social media and making music um and i kind of just did that and then took it from there amazing that's such a dude i know it's like a little scrambled like all the the pieces but that 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 was like in my memory from what i remember that was like that era those were like the highlights kind of do you remember that moment that you quit? Like, was it hard for you to even do that? Cause you knew you're going to lose a steady paycheck. You were going to like, cause sometimes when people do that, the passion then becomes a career, which can put the pressure on the creativity. Did you feel like that was a kind of a setback for you? Or did you say I'm fucking going both feet in? Uh, I think when I first decided it was like a few months before. So I kind of knew that I was going to quit on a certain day. It was, yeah. it was so funny. <laughs> the reason why I picked the day to quit was because, uh, my company had like stock options and so like i had to i had to wait until a certain day to get like these options available so it was really bad because i was so checked out and i was did not give a shit about the work because i knew i was like waiting for this day but um yeah no it was like extremely liberating and i was like this is amazing like i don't have to work for like fucking corporation anymore but um you don't realize when you come from like a structured environment, like a school or like a job where it's like, you have to be here at this time. And like, everything is like, your life is very structured. It, you don't realize how fucked up it can make you when you take all that away. And you're like, okay, your job is now a producer. You have no one to talk to about, you have no manager to like discuss anything with you. You have, uh, maybe you do have a manager, but you don't have like, like a real kind of like manager, like in a company manager yeah. you don't have anywhere to be you have to make your own schedule you have to figure out you don't know if you're on the right path like 
that to like someone's mental health that doesn't know how to deal with that is like crazy. And I think that's why a lot of producers, it can be so, that's why I think a lot of producers just have anxiety and depression is because um, it's so overwhelming without that structure. When you live that nine to five, it's like really easy. It's like, you go in, you do the work that you need to, you go yeah. home, you can chill and relax. Like I don't, it took me a while to kind of get used to that life and I'm still getting used to it now. But um, yeah. that definitely hit me a few months into it. I was kind of like, fuck, like, did I make the wrong decision? Like, right. how do I know if I'm doing the right thing? Like, you know, so it, you know, there was joy in it, but it was also a little bit scary. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing that, man. And I'm sure, you know, there are so many producers out there right now. I just tweeted yesterday, like I have a day job and I've had a day job for six years, man. And I said like, who out there is hustling with their day job to provide for their passion and so many people are doing that and yes. all you want to do is commit to what you love the most but it's just as important to be realistic but also that's the question I ask all the time man like at what point do I say you know I'm I got to do this this is what makes me the most happy I can't everything I can't everything slow me down yep and people ask me that question all the time and I'm just like look like I don't have the answer for you it's different yeah. from everyone everyone's yeah. situation is different and everyone's priorities are different um, everyone's risk tolerance is different. So, you know, um, I, I will say this though, that a lot of the people that I know that did kind of go at it full time and um, really gave it their all were rewarded for that. Um, and so like, you know, I remember it, this is a conversation I had with John before I was, he messaged me on Facebook, maybe 2018 or 19, and he was debating quitting his job. And I was like, look, man, like I quit my job and like, I've, you know, been doing the best I have ever done in my career by doing that. Like, I think, you know, that's the right decision for you as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, one counter example to that is Steve Darko, who um, he's an engineer at Isotopes and he makes like the mastering plugins and uh, he never quit his job and he toured with like Claude. He got, I remember Claude Waterman and, uh, yeah, he never quit his job and he still has it. And like, you know, for some people, they don't want to do that full touring DJ life and yeah. they, you know, they have other priorities and stuff. So, you know, it really depends on you and how much work and blah, blah, blah. But um, it's definitely, I think, an important decision for people to think about. Yeah. Stressful one too. Very stressful. Good, good perspective, man. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you made the jump because it's pretty obvious after you did, like things really picked up for you. You ended off, I mentioned Detonate, which did so well for you and John. Um, I remember seeing a video of Claude Von Truck playing it, like the welcome ceremony at EDC Vegas. Because uh, I met John years ago, too. And I was like, oh, this guy's an amazing producer. And I saw that. I was like, damn, okay, this shit's real. Let's check out this massive track. This one's called Detonate by West End and John Summit by a Dirty Bird. Bang. a funny story with that track so that yeah. was i think one of the first tracks that me and john did together 
I think it's the only song we have out together. We have some other ones that we finished at the time, but like never came out. Mm -hmm. But um, we got that track mastered by our engineer and uh, he mastered it, sent it back. I sent it to Darren, who's the A&R for Dirty Bird and uh, didn't hear anything back. And then I remember I got like a message from my, the mastering engineer I use, this guy Klaus. And he was like, yo man, like uh, he like called me on Facebook messenger a couple times or something. And I was like, why is this guy calling you right now? And uh, like, it turns out like I never put the name of the art, the artist names on the file that we said, it just said like detonate. And it said the, like, it was like detonate 44.1, bit rate or whatever yeah. rate and then like it had luckily it had klaus's name on it in parentheses like heavyweight mastering or something yeah so they must have like googled who what that name was and told the engineer but like imagine we never put that out like that could have like never came out and it was like a, i was like i'm a fucking idiot like i'm a dumbass for, for not doing that but um wow. yes that was that was like claude played that i remember like we were, I was at EDC that year, 2019, and uh, I was there to play an art car. And um, and uh, I remember seeing Claude, and I think we took, like, uh, I was, like, walking with him to his, like, trailer or something like that. And, like, I was, like, definitely, like, nervous to talk to him. And, like, he sometimes he's, like, very chatty, sometimes he's not. But he was he was talking about, he's, like, yeah, I didn't expect, like, I didn't expect that song to sound so good. But then when I played it, like, the bass is so loud and big or something like that. And I remember inside, I was, like, yeah like, <laughs> like, like let's go like you know i was, I was fanboying pretty hard at the time yeah but that's yes, amazing that, that track that track really catapulted both of you man and it's just like it's inspiring to see like one one song doesn't necessarily change everything but it can take you to that next level that really makes you sort of rise to the occasion you know what i mean yeah i i don't think in my career i've had like a song that changes like everything like a, like a hit you like for john he had to yeah i think it depends like it depends on how you follow up with it but like for right. example john had deep end at the start of 2020 which to right. me was the one that kind of even though you have this big history beforehand it kind of like changes everything like detonate for me wasn't like that but it was definitely like a good like kind of bump in credibility and in um got a lot of good dj support and stuff like that even like this year i've had like a couple big songs like jump in and jump in was party started yeah that was yeah exactly it wasn't like for me like Maybe, I don't know. I wouldn't call it like a hit hit, but it definitely did a lot to help my career. So I think, you know, there's different levels of how much it, it can be, but at different points in your career, you know, you're not going to expect it. If you only have a thousand listeners at the time, a song that gives 30% more listens, like that's amazing. Like, yeah, but like that at the time that could only be like, you know, if you have 10,000 listeners that could be three thousand listeners if you have right. three million then it's like another whatever you know what i mean so right right i don't know if that math makes sense I think, I, it does I, in my head <laughs> I, was like, I do follow i do follow okay yeah. spotify yes. math <laughs> spotify math fucking the worst type of math there is the worst type of math yeah i don't we, we won't get started on spotify you're like why man i have all the, a billion streams why is there ten thousand dollars in my door <laughs> that's or, the, that the corrupt math yeah Fuff so true but it fuck it, you over they do fuck you over man i mean <clears throat> i know i could go it's its own platform that you have to cater to and and learn and be an expert of and playlisting and ugh. it's amazing though at the end of the day it, it is. is amazing and it's you know as much as like it can be annoying like with all technology it's like social media it's like it's like yeah. fucking terrible for us but like it's open so much more and it's 
you know, it's the same thing with Spotify. It's like, I can literally listen to like any song ever at any point in my life. It's like, it's, it's a pretty crazy platform. True, man. Very well said. So let's, let's fast forward to the past year and a half for you. 2020. Uh, I think you had a, you had a, a release late 2019 and then your first release in 2020 that was, that I could find was on Solotoko. It was like March 20th. So like right after lockdown and you had probably your best year of releases quality wise, like streaming wise, like everything during lockdown, during quarantine. What was that like for you? Like from a creative perspective and also maybe like a, I don't know. Did you feel like this isn't fair? I wish I could be touring or were you just kind of riding the wave? Um, yeah. So in terms of like the success of the records, it still felt like very gradual to me in the sense that I was like, yeah, like, you know, Soul Toga is like an amazing label. Like Sonny Federa is an you know, incredible tastemaker in the, in the music industry. And his label has seen a lot of really dope artists, like people like Biscuits and Martin Eichen, um, yeah. kind of make their way over there. So to me, to get like Sonny's stamp of approval, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Right. It's a really great look for me. And yeah, I think that was like early 2020. And I just, I had switched management companies around the time. And, uh, you know, I was working with a little bit more closely with like Noizu, um, who we share the same manager. And uh, I did a release. I was like the first artist to release on his label, Techni, oh, uh, which okay. which has done a lot. He He's done releases on it, but like the first non-Noizu release on the label mm -hmm. in 2020. And uh, that did really well for me. I think it got a lot of great support. Well, you know, we got to check this one out. It's called Do You Feel Me by Wesson off Techni. again just like very gradual it's just like okay like let's do this ep let's do this next song and let's try to get more streams than this one and, and better beatport play to this thing let's do this um and kind of like did that through all of 2020 and i mean with the pandemic i'm sure like I, i'm just i'm glad we don't have to talk about it like it was so recent because like when i would do a podcast before or something it was like that was the thing it's like we could talk about pandemic and djing and now it feels like we're fucking back to normal so it's Dude, kind of I, like i hated it too yeah <laughs> yeah it was like annoying it's like oh what are you doing blah 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 but you know at the at the time i just thought like oh like one more month two more months kind of but you know at, at some point i was kind of like well, fuck how, I supposed to, how am i supposed to make money right now like i you know exactly. I, I don't make i don't stream enough to make good money from that i don't you know but I'm not playing any shows. Like I, I really can't put any money in my pocket. And that's kind of how I started doing like DJ lessons, which is like another story, which we can get into. But um, yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Um, but just to, to keep on the music subject, I mean, I, it feels embarrassing. I have to ask you, what else did I do in 2020? My memory is so shot. I smoked too much weed. I can't remember. Bro, anything. same here, man. I, I feel <laughs> like you did. Hold on, I'm going yeah. back. You had, I mean, your your technique of feeling me is is honestly my favorite track of yours. You had. Oh, uh, thank you. All oh, right, I got it. I got it. Give it to me on in rotation. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, a tune I finished in like 2019, and we got it signed. And um, uh, 
Insomniac, I, you know, I, I really love those guys in Insomniac. So I did that track and then I did Insomniac Records, Prickly Pear, and then yeah. like an EP. Let's check out this heater. It's called Prickly Pear by West End off Insomniac Records. pair the other songs in the ep they kind of like i never play them i think they were decent songs but like they just like didn't connect with people at the, at the right time i don't know you know it can be there's so many factors that can go into that but yeah. um it just felt like a little bit of a flop to me so it didn't really like take it to the next level mm-hmm. i did another ep with solo toko what else i did i did a remix um yeah i did you know, mostly Insomniac and Solotoko. It was good. It was definitely a good year for me. It was like kind of like a year of taking it out of um, some of these like smaller labels and putting it, putting the music in the hands of like these bigger, a little bit more credible labels. Um, right. Which I think, you know, DJs kind of are in like different, not tiers. I don't like to say that, but like, it's almost like little like circuits kind of like, I think about it in like the G League versus like the NBA and stuff. It's like yeah. once you kind of are done in this area and like you move up to the next one, like, you don't really want to dip back down too much into those like smaller labels because you've already said, Hey, I'm worth, you know, I'm on this kind of level. Like, let me stay in that realm. So I think that's kind of what I was doing at the time was more staying with those a little bit more credible labels. Um, and then 2021, which is like my best year ever. was like, yeah, just like started with like jump in, you know, we got to check this one out. People, this one's called jumping by Sid and West end off repopulate Mars. Keep on jumping, let your body fly. Everybody pump it till you see the sun in the sky. Keep on jumping, let your body fly. Everybody pump it till you see the sun in the sky. Keep on jumping, let your body fly. Everybody pump it till you see the sun in the sky. Keep on jumping. yeah when did that release well. like uh that was february or march that was the first i think that was the first release of this year yeah february. yeah and repopulate mars i have nothing but the best things to say about them i, I interviewed nick uh Kaysen, and we talked about that track and like i said i talked to sid about it and it was so cool that track was marketed 
millions of plays on Spotify. Um, didn't didn't Kim Kardashian play it in a video or something? Yes, that was uh, she was like I think it was like lives in my live in Miami's first opening night, and Alesso was playing. I thought it was Alesso who played it, but I think it was the DJ right before him. But like Still. I guess Alesso, Alesso was like about to get on, and so like I guess Kim Kardashian <laughs> just on her story like she's like just at the club and it, it, you hear jumping in the background. And I was like, wow! Yeah. I was like this go. is the this is the better marketing than. Anything I could afford, probably. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. When you yeah. met, when you were walking with Claude Von Schoke, when he was talking about detonate, you were like, I made it. But then when Kim Kardashian took a video of the direct support DJ for Alessio, you're like, this is it. I've made it. Yes. You know, anytime I can find some support with like, the thing with like DJs is like, no DJs. Like, I think uh, Ernesto had this tweet, um, my producer buddy Ernesto from Miami, but he's mm -hmm. like, like get rid of your egos, DJs, because like unless you're like Diplo or like Zed, like no one knows who, you, like the general public don't know who you are. Um, so I knew anytime I could find someone that's like a real celebrity that like likes my music or something like that, like I'm like to me that's like a win in my book because yeah, I don't know, it's just like that's something you could tell your mom about and like like I'm like mom, Claude Von Stroke likes my track. She's like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> I'm like that? my song was in Kim Kardashian's story. It's like that, you know. They know that. <laughs> my favorite example of this was that when John John DJed in the Hamptons and fucking oh. Chris Cuomo is like at a table next to him, Dude. and then like that goes on like Fox News. Like that's like to me that's like legendary shit. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the funniest videos ever. It wasn't like him and his brother like sweating. They looked like they were on Molly. Like that wasn't his brother. It was like some random dude, but like yeah, he just looked like strung out. And I think that's when Andrew Cuomo was like getting all this shit for being a fucking predator and like a just creepy dude. And uh, but that, that that's the funny thing with John is he always has these like weird fucking like. Like always Jake Paul or like Logan Paul or something. I don't know. It's just like these like real famous people uh, cross up with the music. But yeah, that's when I'm like, oh, this is actually cool. Like, you know, if it's like a DJ, you're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it always happens to John. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, bro. Uh, and I do also just want to say again, like, get this party started. Uh, production quality, man. It's got to be one of your cleanest mix downs. I want to ask, like, when did the vocals come into play? Did you start with those or did you have the actual composition? Let's listen to this one together. It's called Get This Party Started by West End of Glasgow Underground. <laughs> Yeah, so the way that track ended up um, being made was Kevin McKay, who owns Glasgow Underground. Mm -hmm. He's a DJ and producer, amazing producer. Yeah. Um, never met him in person, but we chat on WhatsApp. But he messaged me and was like, hey, man, like, I would love for you to do a song for the label. Um, here are some vocals that we have. So he sent me like a folder of vocals and I kind of went through them and I heard the pink one and I was like, I was just like heard the acapella and I was like, this just sounds like really good. And yeah. it wasn't her vocal. It's actually a re-sing. So like, it's mm -hmm. not the original sample. It's someone else singing it to sound like pink, 
but it's like honestly in my opinion like one of the best things i've ever heard because it sounds exactly like pink it does and it has this like the vocal had this like crunchiness to it i don't have to describe it but it has this like thick kind of crunchiness to it that just sounds very pleasing so yeah he sent me the vocal and then i came up with like the bass line for it which is like the bass line that i used and like the drums but i was like in my head i think i was like subconsciously or consciously making it sound too much like jump in where i wanted to be very like stripped back kind of like michael bd style like yeah tree and i remember kevin when i he was this is why he's a really great anr is like we were going back and forth on email and he was like look man like i really like what you have but it feels like a little bit like empty like i love your track like you're feeling me i love what you did with like the synths and stuff like that like mm -hmm you should try that with this track and uh like fill it out a little bit more and in my head i was like oh well then it's just gonna be like this a little bit more like commercial or a little bit more like cheesy or like edm-y but like yeah. i ended up kind of taking his advice and like adding that like arp sound and like really just like filling out the um filling out the, the drops of the tracks with the, all these other sounds and you know i didn't even think it was going to do well to be honest i thought it wasn't no not like I, I thought I was like yeah the vocal is very catchy but I just thought that the, the instrumental not enough people would find it like accessible so to speak like not yeah. enough DJs would be able to play it in their sets like it would be a little bit too aggressive and maybe it is for some DJs a little bit too hype kind of sounding but yeah. um no it did really well I, I was like blown away by how well it did on the port and um yeah that was all Kevin he was he gave me the advice he was like go for it and I was like fuck it so that's awesome. That's, man. that's that's what a good AR will do. He saw the best version of you that when you couldn't see it. Yeah. Exactly. He he could kind of tell that I wasn't, I was like holding back a little bit. And I think yeah. I was like trying to go for something that wasn't me in a certain sense mm -hmm. for like the wrong reason. And he was like, Yeah, no, don't do that. And then well, it, it turned out really well. It's so hard to like tiptoe that line or even stand on both sides of the line of like what's gonna stream well and what's gonna play well. Like sometimes a track that does super well selling on Beatport will not have a lot of plays on Spotify or SoundCloud or Apple Music so, and vice versa. And that's kind of like the experience I've heard from people is they never know what's going to do well on either. Like it's, you just got to put your best foot forward. Yeah. You, you can't really predict it. And like, uh, I remember noise told me this once. Um, well, I remember when his track summer 91 came out, he was yeah. like, I think like they were just kind of like unsure of the track. Like they weren't like, Oh, this is going to be a fucking <laughs> hit. And like, most people aren't like, this is going to be a hit. They're like, you know, and like that, that song was fucking huge. It's on Love Island. It's on like, you know, it just, I think he just got the plaque back. It was like, a, he got a silver fucking, it went silver or gold or something in the UK. Wow. But um, yeah, so you can't really predict it. You know, you never know. Like John's deep end, like he made that shit in one night, like on um, like stayed up all night and just like made it. Like, you don't, you can't like force like a hit like that. You just kind of have to get like lucky and things to come together and put in the time. Yeah, man. And and everybody has a different timeline or path to success. And of course. It's yes. so important that you just enjoy every step of the way. Imposter syndrome and, and, you know, not admitting jealousy is something that we see all the time. But that's why, like, I say this almost every episode, Tyler, like, if only you and me did this interview and we're the only ones who watched it, I doubt that's going to fucking happen. But when I'm old in my rocking chair, I'm going to think back and say, damn, I love that interview with West Ham when he was telling me about those stories. Like, that's fulfilling for me as a person, you know what I mean? And, and as a producer and it's just a human on earth, man, I just want to like be happy. 
Of course. And I think, you know, with anything, the more you can love like the process of doing it and like mm-hmm. not think about the end goal, like the better. Um, that's why like, you know, a lot of times like people like I used to do, I was guilty of this as well. It's like, you kind of like when you're going to write down, a, going to make a track or write a song, if you start thinking about the end product and like where you're going to sign it to and like what it's going to sound like, like from the beginning, it's like, yeah, it's you're just gonna lose a little bit of, like the magic there and like when you kind of just like go into it and you're like all right like we'll try this and then kind of switch in a different direction like I never like end up in the initial direction that I expected to go to for a song it's always um like I, I think I'm gonna try to make a song that's like in the style <laughs> and then it goes fucking left field but then it sounds good because it's like it has some of those um elements of the style that I was going for but then I switched it up that's kind of how I get a lot of like I sound um yeah but yeah you can never you just gotta enjoy the process and not think about the end goal too much and those are the people that usually have the most success in my opinion amen amen weston so i want to quickly ask about something you touched on earlier uh kick and bass your one-on-one production discord has over 160 producers in it i personally know about 10 of them that (laughs) their sound has been elevated man one guy jake shore drive who i know you know yeah um, after he took the repopulate Mars class and worked with you, like he went from, uh, I mean, he'd admit it. And I, and I have to say it, a mediocre producer to like a proficient guy in the studio. And it's just awesome how you sort of gave back to them, but also like found a way to make money during the pandemic. Can you tell us like how it started and where you're at now with it and how people can get involved? Yeah. So um, the way it started was pandemic comes around, no shows, no money, Got to figure out a way to make some money. And uh, Moose, the producer, M-U-U-S, he messaged me. He's like, hey, man, like, um, would you be down to do like a production session with me, like a one-on-one Zoom chat? And I was like, I've never done anything like that, but, you know, I guess we could try. And I forgot what we did, but like either he showed me one of his tracks or I showed him, I think maybe I showed him one of my tracks. And I was like, this is how you make it. This is what I did here. I kind of explained some concepts. And then I was like, oh, that was like pretty nice and rewarding. Like I actually, you know, it was nice to teach someone. And I I enjoyed playing that role as kind of like a teacher. And I was like, all right, let's do like more of these sessions. So I think I did like I advertised on my Instagram, I fucking wore like a stupid blazer and like glasses. And I was like, professor, <laughs> tech house professors in session or something. And I was like, I'm doing <laughs> sessions like $50 an hour, like message me. And I got a good amount of people to message me at the time. Like I was doing like, you know, maybe 10 to 12 hours a week for like six sessions with people. And I pretty much did that from like March, not March, April or May of 2020 all the way until around February of 2021. So I did like nine months. Dude, I must have done over like four to 500 hours of sessions, like with over close close to 100 producers. I have a Dropbox folder with everyone's names and projects. And like, (laughs) like, look at my splice right now. The amount of projects I have is 1,500 projects. It's like, (laughs) I just, I, I, I didn't even write that much on my own music. I was just basically doing so many Zoom sessions every week. And then... I kind of got burnt out of it a little bit in 2021 and I kind of saw that light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. So I was like, all right, let's, let me pull back on this a little bit. I, you know, I, I don't feel as pressed for money. I don't feel, you know, I gotta like rethink this. Um, and so basically I ended doing sessions and I ended up doing some stuff for YouTube. Cause I was like, you know, I've already been filming myself for the last year. Like why not put something up on my YouTube 
And that's what I did. I basically was like, all right, I'm going to make a track from scratch in like an hour and just put it up. And like, I did like some minor video editing kind of stuff. Um, but it did really well and I didn't put any ads or anything on it. And they got like for a tech house tutorial, it's at like almost 90,000 plays, which to me is like kind of crazy. Cause that means like almost 90,000 people around the world sat for an hour to watch me talk about <laughs> like music production yeah. and in this specific like niche kind of genre. And I was like, that's pretty crazy. And it, um, it did really well. I did another video. And then after that, um, a guy named Freddie hit me up on Instagram and he was like, you know, I saw your videos on YouTube. I'm in a discord with this guy, DeMarzo, um, who's a kind of like a minimal house producer, tech house producer. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, he does all this stuff. It's pretty cool, but you know, let's, uh, I, I think we can make something that's a little bit better and more focused on tech house specifically. Mm -hmm. And like, you're going to be the head coach and we're going to set this up. We're gonna make a discord server. I was like really reluctant at first because people DM me like fucking stupid business offers and shit all the time. And I was right, like, right, right. And I was like, oh yeah, like, yeah, Here sure. But then I was like, this guy like really knows what he's talking about. And I was like, I could see this like working. Um, Cause I knew I didn't really want to do one-on-one -on -one sessions because it takes so much time. It's like two hours. It could be like eight hours a day just like talking, like my throat would hurt at the end of the night because I was just talking so like much. Like a recruiting fair, dude. Yeah, just yeah, dude. It's just that. yeah, and it's like it got like so, and I was like, I, I can't do this, but let's try this idea. And so we kind of came up with this idea for kick and bass. So what kick and bass is is it's a um, Discord server. That's physically what it is. And if you don't know what Discord is, it's just kind of like a chat room, but. Um, it's like a forum and a chat room together. So um, it's a Discord server and it's a monthly membership. So it's not a free server, um, which I felt pretty guilty about in the beginning. But then I realized that for me to provide quality content and all these other things to provide, it just has to be a paid service. Yeah. Can't be doing that for free. Yeah. But um, so it's a paid Discord server. And there's like, I would say three kind of main components to it. The first is the tutorial videos. So I record videos on pretty much different topics in tech house production. Um, some of them are track breakdowns. So I show you, you know, how I make my tracks. Some of them are track creations. I show you how to create a track from scratch. I go over different topics like mixing, mastering, little tips, like how to make a baseline, how to make a snare roll. Um, and this kind of gets updated every month. Like I record videos and we put it up there. So if you're a member of the Discord, you get access to all the videos. They're nice, nice and neatly organized. You get the project files as well for some of them so that you know if you want to steal the samples or just go into it on your own time you can do it so that's like the first kind of area that or thing you get access to mm -hmm. the second is music feedback so um right now there's two different feedback levels there's a standard level where you get two feedbacks in, in a month and then the premium which you get five feedbacks in a month and basically the way the feedback works is you upload your track to soundcloud you send it to me i listen to it i give you I don't know, anywhere from like seven to 10 pretty detailed bullet point notes about what I think you could be doing better. And the, the, the important thing I think with feedback is that, you know, you have to tailor the feedback to everyone's specific needs. So, right. you know, if, you, if there's a producer that's really green, they just started producing, I'm not going to be going crazy about, hey, your snares, frequencies, <laughs> resonant in this one area, yeah. because if they, like that person should be more focused on like their the songwriting or coming up with melodies or sound finishing design or something, finishing yeah. a song. Exactly. And so like, 
I'm able to kind of tell where you're at in production and give you, you know, if you are a really good producer, I'm going to give you those like very specific little things that are going to help take your track to the next level. But um, yeah, so you can get feedback on your music from someone that, you know, lives and breathes like electronic music and tech house like that's you know all i listen to all i make so i I, you know i'm very confident in my ability to give feedback on that genre if you told me to give feedback on like a dubstep song that'd be a different story because i don't listen to dubstep so you know (laughs) it's a little bit harder um and then like the third aspect is like the community so we have I think at this point we're over 200 members. I think at this point. That's um, fucking awesome, dude. It's it, the growth is crazy, and uh, it's yeah. There's just you know, there's a really good kind of community. Everyone's we have a community feedback um, channel where people give each other feedback on their music. Like we have, I'm give give I give guest lists to um, people in the groups. Like if I'm going to the city, I've met a lot of these people in real life, and um, dude, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a nice little group that we got and um yeah that's one thing i've just heard from a lot of people is like they're like you know my tracks sound a lot better now after being in the group and um you know maybe it's because they're paying and they're just focused more on music but i I really do think that the content is really good that we have in there um we have some stuff from guest coaches as well so black v-neck was our first guest coach they recorded an amazing video on one of their tracks and they answered a lot of our members questions Um, we're gonna get more guest coaches in the future um so i would say if you are a tech house producer and you're trying to get better i can't think of a better way to spend the money the money that you would pay to be in the discord um if you're trying to get better personally i don't know maybe there's some guru guy that's giving one-on-one sessions that is better but um yes i highly recommend it so yeah that is ticket base and um it's the the thing that's been amazing for me with kick and bass is like I think when you're a DJ and producer, like you kind of just follow what all the other DJs and producers do, which is like make music, post on social media, go on tour, <laughs> make money from touring, you know, <laughs> repeat that cycle. Yeah. And like no one thinks about like other business opportunities. Like maybe you do merch, maybe you do that. But like, you know, I think there's so much more you can do as like an artist. And like until I did this kind of educational, like, type thing i was like i would have never thought of it i've been like oh like i can't do that and uh it's just been like amazing and it's helped my fan base as an artist way more than i could think of because you know now for, through youtube i have like all these people that are watching my videos through this through the discord channel we have all these like fans that are just like really dedicated yeah. and if i just was like oh i'm just gonna release on labels and just tour and not do any of this stuff like i don't think i would uh anywhere near where i am today without that so to all the producers out there think outside the box think about other business opportunities other ways to kind of take your skills and your brand and and do something cool with it because i think that's how you're going to stand out from other people absolutely amazing man you're doing so many different things there too not only are you giving back to the music community and, and fans of the music to inevitably make better music but you've built this community of like 200 best friends right like that's my favorite part about house music community specifically to bring up ranger again he said everybody in the house music is is best friends like and i agree we're all only really about one handshake away and the scene behind the scene is like until you until you get there it might seem like really intimidating like how do i get to know Weston? how do i get on sherman the booth how do i get this gig right like you just have to put yourself out there and it takes time but for you to really be giving people like, uh, I mean, a synagogue to party in, bro, like to bring it back up from the beginning, like you're doing something really special that's virtual that you're now turning into 
a real life, real tangible thing. And I think that's really special, man. Thank you, man. Yeah. It's uh, the thing with like house music. I think I've tweeted about this before is like, it feels like no matter like what specific genre you make either, like what's your kind of flavor, like what your background is, it sounds so corny. It's like, doesn't matter like who you are or like kind of thing, <laughs> but it's like, it really is like yeah. everyone's like homies. Like I like, that's why you have people like Carnage who, you know, was a few years ago, like chilling in Ibiza with like Jamie Jones and stuff. It's because like at the end of the day, like people that make house music, it's all about the love. It's all about the music. Like no one cares like what you're doing. And um, I feel the exact same way with you. It's like I can meet someone that I've never met before. And if we just have this one connection through um, house music, it's kind of like, you know, there's something there to kind of connect with. It's not even just fishing for us. It's lots of things. Fishing is probably a little bit stronger than house music. I'm not going to lie. Um, but a lot of the problem with fishing is that a lot of just, I mean, I'm not trying to get political, but I think a lot of fishermen are just like terrible people. that are just like these, uh, they're just, uh, I'm not going to get, yeah, I don't want to be creating any divisions, but a lot of their political beliefs are just pretty bad. So I love the fishing aspect, but they're just terrible people, especially in New York. Like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fucking funny. i've gotten kicked out of uh fishing facebook groups because like people will say like kind of like racist like fucked up shit and i'll just, just say like really terrible shit like your children are ugly or something and like they'll, <laughs> like I've, I've gotten kicked out of fishing facebook groups and it's like but yes another <laughs> what a way to end this. the good the good of humanity tyler i love i know it. i'm getting i'm getting rid of all those racist fishermen so <laughs> one racist fisherman at a time that's all it takes Amazing, bro. Um, so we, we've covered a lot. Um, you obviously have so much in the works. Like I said, EDC Vegas is coming up for you. We've had a huge mm-hmm. summer, man. So many great shows. Uh, what can you tell us about what's coming over the next few months for you? Um, okay, so on the music front, I have one more release for 2020. Uh, I can't say where it's coming out specifically but it's not an american label and um it's a song i've been playing in my sets and i post on social media a lot so if you scroll back and stock some of those uh videos you may be able to find out which one it is but i'm very 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 excited about this one it's a fucking banger and i think it's gonna do super well um and it's a little bit of like a different sound for me it's um a little bit more housey a little bit more funky which I like, but it still kind of has like that West End flavor. So yeah, that'll be out sometime in November and that'll be my last release for the year. Um, definitely have some dope, a lot of music finished and just, just figuring out when it's going to come out and where. Um, have some stuff slotted for January, maybe another collab with someone familiar. So I'll put that out there. Um, but in terms of shows, yeah, EDC is coming. I'm going to be playing three sets there. So uh encore beach club on wednesday with insomniac records come on that's sick that's gonna be fun um vegas baby yeah i've never been there either encore beach club but yeah so that'll be i know i know i I heard it's gonna be dope so i know you love tequila right yes sir there's a shortage in 1942 i think it's because of john summon and parker though Probably, probably. <laughs> I, I like nineteen forty-two, but like I'm not like a snob. I'm not like I only can drink. Yeah, no. I'll drink. I don't. Things is chill. Yeah, I don't. I I prefer reposado or anejo. Like I don't. I love darker tequila. Okay. I still will drink uh, blanco or white tequila, but um, darker is much better. Casamigos reposado is pretty good. That's that's normally what I get on my shows. But yeah, so I have 
uh, Encore Beach Club, and then a set at the campgrounds on Sunday, and then uh, at Stereo Bloom on Sunday. So three shows for UDC. Um, doing Halloween in Miami. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to be for Halloween yet, but <laughs> I want to be like a fisherman and like come with like a fucking bib, like a rubber bib and like, like my fucking rubber boots. But like, it just sounds like such a hassle to wear that. Um, and I feel like if you, if you can't see my feet, like if the DJ booth is like, you know, there's an LED wall, like the costume <laughs> may, I don't know. I got to figure out what I'm going to be. Yeah, exactly. It's like, just take a photo and like, that's all you need. <laughs> Bro, um, I, I'm I'm on a, I'm in the same boat right now. I was just thinking about what I have. I during the pandemic was doing something to keep myself entertained. I was dressing up as DJs. I did Chami, Mala, Claptone, uh, Fisher, and I like ordered outfits and like dressed up like them and did cover sets. It was actually a lot of fun. And now I have all these outfits. So I'm like, maybe I could do like a Mala cover set, but like I want to be myself, but also is it going to be? It's hot? not a bad idea. I think the best was. Um, did you ever see when Omnom dressed up as Fisher? No, I didn't. Oh my god, you gotta just go on his Instagram. Um, yeah, he dressed up as Fisher, and he looked exactly like Fisher. And like, <laughs> I think he was playing like opening for him or something. And like, I think Fisher's like wife like mistaked him or like like it was like something crazy. Like Omnom's really good at this, and then he dressed up as Will Clark. I think the year after, and he had like he looked exactly like him. <laughs> but yeah, dressing up as a DJ, I feel like it's always a funny look because it's kind of like yeah like most people won't get it like if you go out to like bars or something they'll be like who the fuck is this guy but yeah, like the ski to the people in the scene you're like all right like i, I you know exactly <laughs> you are yes um, the claptone mask has freaked people out but the people that get it they're like nice claptone mask yes exactly uh that's uh that's pretty much it for announcements yeah i'm doing halloween miami i have some shows in november just announced today I'm doing Marquee. Uh, they do a Wednesday party. I think it's called Loki Library or something at Marquee in Vegas, awesome, um, which should be fun. Good for you. Um, it's a great venue too. Yeah, I'll be in. I'll be overseas in the end of November, I think, um, for some stuff. Can't talk too much about that. But oh, Elro in New York City. So for all my New York City fans um elro which is my opinion is the greatest party in the world have you been to an elro before no? i'm going to one in chicago uh november oh, 20th nice. i saw that with the lpgovs i think doing that one right yes bro i'm such a big fan of her too but like jamie jones i've never seen jamie jones and i'm dying oh, oh yeah he's, he's the goat uh yeah lp is amazing i just played with her at spring awakening yeah uh, not with her but i played right before her at spring awakening and she's such a sweetheart and she's super cool and super talented like dude, when you see her play to... it just makes me feel like a piece of shit because i'm just like <laughs> dude she's fucking ripping the piano so passionate, yeah. djing like insane like mixes and stuff and i'm like i'm like i suck dick bro i'm terrible <laughs> Um, we need more people like her in the scene though she's special definitely yeah she's she's amazing and she's doing big things but yeah elro so december 11th at avant gardner they do a really good job on avant gardner too with elro like the fucking production and the confetti and everything like i'm doing the repopulate mars stage so it'll be good i think oh, jay war is on the lineup lee's on the lineup my boy clooney's on the lineup it's gonna be good God but, damn, that makes me want to come out to New York for that. Jesus, that's fire. I'm through, man. It's going to be fucking crazy. Okay, last story really Good quick. I, I, yeah. I was in New York uh, two years ago, and my friends convinced me to go to Fisher Chris Lake, and I bought hard tickets from one of my friends. We pre-gamed. We go all the way. You know, the, taking a cab from fucking Manhattan over to Brooklyn is, is a journey. 
And we get there. I'm with my girlfriend. It starts pouring rain. We get inside. I'm like, thank fucking God we made it. I got fake fucking tickets, Tyler. And I have to go. I got fake tickets. So I was this close to getting into the Mirage. And all my friends were there. They didn't sell any of the door or anything? Dude, they were selling for $400. (laughs) From the the Mirage was? That was probably they weren't. It was sold out. It was like scalpers outside. And I was like, what am I going to get fucked over again right now? Yeah. I mean. Fuck, that makes me so upset to hear that, man. I wish I could have fucking. There's all these like groups and stuff. You probably found them. But yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I was at that show actually. It was crazy. Right. <laughs> I saw you just saw Carl really Cox there too. How was that? Yeah, that was awesome. Um, that was like, I was kind of dead because I kind of went on a bender the night before. So <laughs> I didn't stay out as late as I wanted. I think I stayed out till like 3.30 or so. But, That's pretty uh, late. <laughs> yeah, but like he goes to like five o'clock and like, um, but yeah, it was amazing. That was also the last, that was the last party in the Mirage. So now they've closed the outside and they only have the, Avant Gardener, which is like the inside rooms, which are still pretty big and yeah. crazy, but they don't have the big outside. But he's he's the man. Like, yeah, um, you know, one thing I noticed about him is like a lot of times you think like these tech house kind of techno DJs, they you don't really ever hear them get on the mic. But like Carl Cox, like the first thing he does is gets in the mic. Crowd goes crazy. Yes. And like throughout his set, he gets on the mic and is you know yep. says things and the crowd goes crazy when he gets on the mic and it's kind of like, even though he is like, you know, one of the most respected underground guys. And a lot of people are like, Oh yeah. Underground people don't get on the mic. I was like, you know, it's such, it can be such an effective tool for really getting the energy up in the room. And I was like, props to you, Carl, <laughs> you know, hey, man. He, he was good on the mic and he was good behind the decks and uh, yeah. it was just a good night. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit goes a long way. I had to shut DJ Susan up in Chicago. on oh, the yeah, mic. Yeah. That motherfucker talks too much, bro. Yeah. You got to take the mic away from him. He, when he turns into Carl Cox, but... let's go, let's go, let's go. Susan, bro. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to sprinkle it in every once in a while and kind of keep people on their toes, but he cracks me up. He's he's unlike any other. So either love him or hate him. I he's he's uh yeah he's definitely unique. I love Susan though. Good yeah. guy. Amazing, bro. Well, thank you so much, West End. Again, huge fan, man. Congratulations on everything. Keep thank crushing you. it. Keep inspiring. You've got a huge fan base here here in Chicago. I know. I think you know that. I saw you played at Late Nocturne too. Great venue. Like Spring Awakening. Like the people know you here, and we we love you and we respect you, man. So I love Chicago. Here. I definitely gotta um you know plan my next visit there hopefully won't be i don't think i'll be there in 20 for the rest of 2021 but yeah um, hopefully 2022 will be there um it's just an amazing city and like the fans are so good there and it's like the scene is so good chicago it's i know it's really great so it's awesome man yeah blessed but thank you brother i really appreciate it and uh thank you for, for anybody it's awesome for anybody that was listening through all the way through thank you and, and make sure to check out that discord channel i think that's so awesome maybe one of the coolest things I'm hearing in the scene right now. So thank you for giving back like that. If, if you're interested go to www.kick-base.com. Um, most of the information is there, the specifics and stuff, but you can also just shoot me like a DM on Instagram. Uh, it's at, it's the West end. And if you have any questions, I'll let you know. That's good so, promo. Damn. I could have yeah. done that better myself. <laughs> it's not his first Flows rodeo. out of me. Flows out of me. <laughs> Amazing, brother. You have a good night. Thanks, Tyler. Yes. See ya.